Hello, everybody! Hello! <laughs> Here we are! Dude, welcome to the Magical Misty Day. And magical on, Misty Day. On the... On the uh, Misty Day. Magical Misty on Day. The on the hill. hill. On the hill. And this is the word on the hill. And we are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mustard. Yes, you are. And so are you. It's not true. Dude, I was like, I was like, how are we we do the introductions in a straightforward way? We don't really have a thing, do we? What do you mean a thing? Like a thing. Like sometimes people open their thing with a thing. Oh, no, we you totally, I mean? we just did our thing. Is that, okay. We say hello very enthusiastically. Is that our thing? Uh-huh. And then we, and then we, then we somehow jumble up in some possible that's way the word on the hill and our names. Like it's just, it's a milieu. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that is our milieu we're stuck with. <laughs> Dude, I'm feeling very meta in this podcast all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's because it's a magical misty day. Because I thought you were, I, I sounded like you were trying to pull the Chevy Chase um, weekend update thing. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Didn't you always say, like, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not? Oh, yeah. Isn't that, wasn't yeah. it something like that? Yeah, it was something like that. very little. Well, I'm not Scott Powell, and I'm very excited that you've joined us today oh, man. for the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Town. Oh, man. 15th Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Snap dude, into a Slim Jim. Dude, okay, so the Greeley Stampede had their um, demolition derby this the last week. The Snap weekend. into a Slim Jim. I'm sorry. The Snap into a Slim Jim no, line you listen was to me devoted now. to Robert Burns, if he's listening. Why is for that? you, Bob. Oh, Bob. Bob once got, he was a friend of mine in college. He once got written up <laughs> during finals quiet hours for yelling snap into a slim jim in the macho man randy savage voice in the hallway of our dorm <laughs> it was one of his claims to fame dude that's awesome yeah anyway sorry um R- greeley stampede was that what you're talking about <sighs> well I, it doesn't it's not funny anymore now what, what what were you talking about that made it funny i mean because it was the demolition derby and sunday 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 monster trucks Cars gotcha. hitting each other. No, it's hilarious. But then nobody like it's so, hilarious. So this is I shouldn't have cut you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is what happened. Is oh. that I was gonna like invite everybody, but then I forgot. So the demolition to der- derby until like after it happened, and everybody was like, "I would go to the demolition derby." They wouldn't have. And then Keenan Fitzpatrick was like, "I'll drive the swag wagon in the demolition he derby." He would drive the swag wagon in the demolition derby. Wow, the places he drives that thing. <laughs> Isn't that a book for kids? Oh, the, oh, the places, places you'll, you'll drive, drive that creepy thing. Cadillac. <laughs> That's the the sequel. <laughs> so uh, anyway, fifteenth Sunday in ordinary time. You bet. We're um, starting off with famous Amos. Famous Amos. Dude's cookies. Is his cookies and yeah. seven cookies divided into twelve to fifteen parts. That got weird. Amos chapter 7, verses 7 to 15. 12 through 15. Oh, yeah, whatever that is. You said it right in your cryptic way the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's just like how it rolls when you're you're drinking Capri Sun and eating potato chips. Yes, I am drinking a Capri Sun and eating sour cream and cheddar oven-baked ruffles. That For some reason, that says summer to me. Yeah. Drinking a Capri Sun and eating cheesy-flavored potato chips. Oh, it really is. I don't know what that says about me. And my upbringing, but that speaks to summer, dude. I tried to, I tried to Ooh, pierce cheese balls, the little <laughs> blue canister of cheese balls. Oh, that's totally that summer. Is summer? Okay, I, sorry. I tried to pierce my Capri Sun, and I went oh, through both sides. Do you know? Do you so know like sad. how Your sad? Face. I was like, I was, was like, so oh man, which is everything you tried to, to avoid. So everything. What's our responsorial okay, psalm? So Amos seven, uh, yeah, twelve through fifteen. Uh, our responsorial psalm is from Psalm eighty-five. Verses 9 through 10, 11 through 12, and 13 through 14. The responsorial itself is from verse 8. 
Ah, uh, yeah. And That's then not how it goes. And then um, we have a second reading from the Ephesians. Mm, it's very close, them. very close to the beginning of the chapter of Ephesians. It's two the book verses of Ephesians. in. Two, three verses in. Yep, and uh, it's a uh, it's option A is uh, Ephesians one three through fourteen. And that's what we're doing. And then option B is one three through ten. Option it's, B, man, it's only got three verses missing. Four verses. What's the point? Just do the four verses. I actually don't understand why you got an option on that. I mean, it's not like there's there's nothing controversial. Your option is four extra verses. I'm too exhausted to read the four more verses. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> or I mean, we'll I never even... get to the donuts in time. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that, was that too much? You've been reading Eye of the Tiber, haven't you? Just now. <laughs> I love Eye of the Tiber. Yeah, dude. Hey, speaking of um, that, uh, what's our gospel today? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I know. Our gospel is... Our gospel is an awesome gospel. It rains from Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. I'm <laughs> embarrassed for all of us. That <laughs> I wish I hadn't. Dude, that was totally oh, awesome. That yeah. was You took cues from me in that first verse. But there, I shouldn't man. have, in a way that I shouldn't have. Yeah. I was I, bad. I was a bad... Uh, you were a bad influence on me. Um, dude, well, um, hey, uh, yeah. w- uh, what I heard, news from the podcasting, Catholic podcasting world, um, <laughs> is- uh, okay, I can th- only think of three podcasts <laughs> I know. in that world. No, I'm sure there's more. There's lots. There um, uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know had a final episode, man. No, so they're they're calling it quits? I, I think that that- I mean, I know uh, Father John's headed to Rome. Yeah. Or already in Rome. Yeah, he's- uh, And so I, I'm really confused by that, actually. And well, they've, so already, I, they've already uh, gone into retirement once. Yep. and come out of it. So I maybe we can hold out hope that they'll be back. Because the studies and stuff, and I don't know, man, that makes me sad. So I Did just say just, the studies and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> which studies are we talking about? Father John, studying. Like, studying? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of things of which they have studied. Got it. No, no, no. Oh, no, his Rome studies. His, his Rome studies. studies. His oh, I studies. thought you were talking about some like scientific study on Catholic podcasts. Well, the studies <laughs> report... Dude, yeah. So I, uh, okay. I just am gonna miss that podcast. I think that those guys were awesome, and like that, they had like they were pulling in huge, huge, huge numbers of people, crowds. and they they can't be done, done. I don't know, man. Well, I don't so, know. We'll so see. say a prayer that um, that the Lord will inspire them with His will. I'm gonna see Father Nathan. I think this week, so I'll, I'll see if I can talk some sense into him. Okay, I think yep. he's coming up to Camp Boitua. Oh, sweet. Tell him I said what. what? Oh, I will. Oh, oh, I will. I will. What do you say we jump in? I say we about, jump. Talk about famous Amos. Dude. Amos the, the, from Tekoa. You know what? Um, Tekoa. If I listen to him anymore, I'm going to get sick. I don't understand. He's a dresser of sycamore trees. That was really a stretch. <laughs> That's not. No, that was too far. Was that too far, that dude? Was way too far. I know. No, that was not I, okay. Dude, you know what? If If you're not willing to roll the dice, you don't get to big bucks, dude. Is that a pun too that I don't get? No, no. Like I, you just gamble on your humor, and sometimes, oh. sometimes you you strike out, and sometimes you win big. No, you're right. You're right. You lose a hundred percent of the shots that you never take. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drink my Capri that sounds Sun. Sounds like a cat poster. <laughs> I'm gonna drink my my dual pierced Capri Sun. Um, speaking of Amos, <laughs> son of- Why did you just pick up that knife, by the way? It's sitting next to me. There's a giant knife on the couch next to me. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm your guest. I don't have children around. Yeah, clearly. You have 
<laughs> me and Father Brady. <laughs> oh yeah, I should have counted you in you that crowd. You should have counted me among the Man, we're, sheep. we're just okay. talking too Amos. much. No, way too much. Okay. Amos, famous Amos. Okay, what do I say about Amos? Amos is what's known as one of the 12 minor prophets. Um, which is always a tough break. You know, the 12 minor prophets are some of the they're some of the greatest writings in the Bible, but they always kind of get overlooked because they're called minor. Um, they're not minor because their messages are, are somehow less than. So the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, what, Ezekiel, Daniel, I believe, unless I miss somebody. Um, and mainly just because they have the longest books. And then there's this whole series of much shorter books um, and, and the, tw- the it's called the Book of the Twelve sometimes, and there's a lot of overlap, basically because there's a bunch. If you, I don't have one in front of me. You know, I, I think I've talked about it on Bible the podcast. Timeline. I love the Bible timeline because it puts so much into perspective. Yep. But if you look at this particular period in Israel's history, right before Assyria invades the north, and then Babylon comes into the southern kingdom, eventually wipes them out as well, you see what you see is tons of prophets flooding the streets. And all of these different books, basically because you see God out of this great profound love desperately wanting to stop his children from going down the wrong path. Uh So you see all of these prophets showing up again and again and again and just hordes of them. (laughs) Hordes of them. them. (laughs) But lots of them um, because God desperately wants Israel not to go down this path. So Amos, um, it makes a big deal in the text that he's from Tekoa, which is uh, right near Bethlehem. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, so he's well, from the southern kingdom, but he it, prophesies largely to the north. Well, and that's actually one of the things that we have to really be careful of of talking about, so that we know when we're talking in, in Hebrews history. So, so the divided everybody knows we're talking about the reign of Uzziah. <laughs> They've already all studied this. <laughs> from, um, we're in divided kingdoms, so we have ten northern <laughs> tribes and two southern and tribes. Now I'm gambling too. I'm trying to make it work. Hey, dude, that was really good, man. I laughed. Me. I laughed. You did not. You shook your head and rolled your eyes. Dude, go on. Continue with what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I was a wasting. I already said what I needed to say. What was it? That there's ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. Yeah. So the, and then so, Amos is from Amos is from the two southern <laughs> tribes, and the two the ten northern tribes have their own temple established up north. Yep. Um, in opposition to the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm just setting context for these people. No, that that's really good. So the civil war has taken place. So there's two different kingdoms. Amos actually prophesies at different points to both kingdoms, which is not super common in the book of the prophets. So to both of them? Both of them. So he's down in Jerusalem. What here here's what's interesting about the period in which he's prophesying. And I think this is the most important part of the story. Um he yeah, he goes both to the north and the south. The king down in the south is Uzziah, who shows up a few times in the book of Isaiah. Okay. That sounds like a lot of alliteration. Isaiah there. Uzziah. And uh, Jeroboam II, who was a terrible guy up in the north. But but here's basically what's going on. The period that, I, that Amos is prophesying into is a period of profound wealth and success and extravagance and luxury and political prowess and all sorts of things. So so what we're, what we're looking at, and then because what our reading this week is focusing on the time in the north— the Northern Kingdom is enjoying, again, just lots of wealth, lots of success, some political influence. Which, they're um, they're powerful. They're wealthy. They're making weird judicial decisions. They're changing the culture. They're deciding that they want to worship God how they want to worship God. They're deciding what their culture should look like, what's right and wrong for them. 
I mean, it's I, I I can't imagine any of us having any context for a culture like that yeah. that's very wealthy and powerful and is deciding morality for themselves and making weird judicial decisions and uh, and uh, abusing the poor and and those who are less fortunate than them. But we'll have to stretch our imaginations and try oh, yeah, to yeah. imagine that. Yeah, I you know it's interesting too is that uh, in, in, uh, when studying this, the Hebrew is actually reading the Book of Amos is actually one of the first Hebrew books that you're going to learn. Yeah, that's right. Because the um, Hebrew is so simple. It well partially because what we're told about Amos and it shows up in this reading. He's well, like you said, he's a sycamore tree dresser. So well, I think there's a reason for that. And let, let's let's jump into it, and I think we can get to the the heart of the matter. So, what's happening is as Amos is prophesying up in the north, um, he's saying that they they they're politically and spiritually smug. That's how my NIV study Bible put it, which I liked the commentary on that. Oh, yeah. But they're politically and spiritually smug. They think everything's going great. Now all of a sudden, here's this weirdo prophet, this nobody from down south in Jerusalem. They're old, you know, allies coming up and he has he's telling them what to do and he's telling them how to act and so this guy named Amariza wait is that right yeah i think they uh, were, they would have called they Amaziah, would, Amaziah. Amaziah. yeah i think they would have called him yankee doodle you know Amaziah. yankee doodle da, da, doodle riding on a pony um, Amaziah went to town and called it macaroni i don't understand the reference uh, that's okay cuz uh, that song <laughs> that song yankee doodle is about a, 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 a like a, a, sub, a, a, a southern bumpkin oh, coming up okay. into no, new york into the now big city i got city. the reference now it just took me a little while southern coming up north got it anyway amaziah amaziah yeah is um he's a priest of bethel bethel's the capital up there of this region it's where the, it's where they had built a temple um, to false gods and pagan worshiping stuff Yeesh. and he basically says to to this amos he's like who do you think you are Get out of here. Actually, let's, let's read it. Am- Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, said to Amos, Off with you, visionary. Flee to the land of Judah. Basically, go home. And there earn your bread by prophesying. But never again prophesy in Bethel, for this is the king's sanctuary and a royal temple. So basically, what, what was happening, Amaziah assumes that Amos is some, yeah, bumpkin from the south who comes up. He's from near Bethlehem. And he's trying to make a quick buck by prophesying. Because prophesying was actually a fairly lucrative business. You would go and you would be hosted. And it was it was a fairly noble role to have this this job of prophet and this title, and you were well respected, and people would pay you for your services and all sorts of things. He's like, well, go make your money someplace else. Yeah. Who do you think you are? You're you're nobody. And what do you what do you mean to prophesy against us? We're doing fine. We're powerful. This is the king's house. We got gods we worship. We're wealthy. We've got everything we need. Who on earth do you think you are? And he basically says, no, 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 I'm not just some t- some prophet. I'm not trying to make a quick buck. He actually says, Amos answered to Am- Amaziah, he says, I was no prophet, nor have I ever belonged to a company of prophets. So I'm, I'm not from prophets. I wasn't of this crew of prophets trained and schooled in prophecy or anything like that. Um, I was just a shepherd. I was a dresser of sycamores. I was a nobody. I was, um, yeah, I was a shepherd, shepherding sheep. It actually says cattle in the Hebrew. I was shepherding, I was a dresser of sycamores, and then the Lord took me from following the flock, and he said to me, go and prophesy to my people Israel, to your neighbors, to your brothers and sisters up in the north. I am nobody, but God has chosen me to be somebody. God took me from my nothingness, from my lack of education, all this stuff, and he told me to go spread this message, which is the way that God tends to work in the Bible. He always takes the nobodies and puts them in front of the somebodies. Mm. To quiet, I mean, look at Moses, look at David, look at... 
Samuel, look at look at Samuel's mother Hannah. I'm just thinking you can think of all these people that were just the lowest and like who do you think you are? But God always takes the lowly, it's the magnificat of Mary, right? Yeah. He always lifts up the lowly to cast down the mighty from their thrones. Like, That's what he's doing with Amos. Like Harry Potter. Right. That's precisely <laughs> what's going on here. But I wonder if that's sort of what accounts for the simplicity of language yes. in the Hebrew, that he's not a schooled right. prophet or anything. He's not a, a studied teacher. He's just a, a he's a shepherd and he dressed sycamores. What does it mean to dress a sycamore? You know, I just picture putting little suits and ties on them. Yeah, yeah. I, the, 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 the Septuagint Greek on it is really, it's funny because it says something like, um, it t- like he... Uh, Kinzon, uh, one who scratches mulberry fruits. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, "Oh yes, that I, I was it. thank a, you a goat herder, and I was one who scratches mulberry fruits." And so I was like, "And gathered me the Lord out of the sheep." So yeah, like I, I, I just am like I don't even know what it means. Actually, I think he it, it must mean that he like scrapes off fruit from trees. So he must actually be. I don't even, dude. Who or knows? Maybe that's how you get like jams or something, or he's getting the fruit, the the bark or know, something. Bark. Maybe he, maybe he's a pharmacist. Maybe <laughs> from he's a witch doctor. No, yeah. he's, oh. not, he's not a witch. No, doctor. he's not. Anyway, um, but that sort of explains the simplicity of this. But I, again, I, that, that's I think the theme that we're dealing with is God is bringing bring up the lowly in order to cast down the proud. Um, yeah, it, that's really all I've got. I, I think it's actually a profound. Too. But again, I just want to make note of what the context is here, because again, this is a nobody who's professing the very, very unpopular opinion that maybe we don't have the right to make ourselves our gods. Maybe there is a God who's higher than us. Maybe we need to watch ourselves. Maybe we need to be a little more humble than we are because maybe there's judgment coming upon us. Maybe God doesn't like the direction that our culture is heading down. And we don't want to hear it, especially from the person who's telling it to us because they're nobody and they're poor and they're weak and they're an immigrant. They're all all sort of, they're not an immigrant per se, but I mean, I don't know. I'm just, it's always the last one you expect. It's always the lowly ones that God lifts up. Absolutely. To tell you that your culture, even though you're rich and powerful and wealthy and you're doing whatever you want to, you should not be doing this. Yeah, I mean, you'd say St. Catherine of Siena, St. Francis, you know what I mean? St. Padre yeah. Pio, you know what I mean? You've got St. Therese of Lisieux. You've got these little ones that are just beautiful. and Jesus. tremendous. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> You've heard of him. And, and, and you. Oh, yeah, and podcast me. listener. Podcast listener. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> which... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for pointing out my little aberrations of language, no, Scott. No, Gosh. Sorry. Um, and that's a good segue into the psalm, though. Speaking of aberrations of language of yours, I, that didn't that didn't apply. <laughs> that was a, that was a terrible segue. Sorry, man. Um, that's okay. It's more like a scoot than a segue. Oh, I see. See what I did right there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation. Psalm eighty-five. Psalm eighty-five is right in the middle of book three of the Psalms. So basically, what the context of the the com- we've talked about the compilation of the Psalms, the Psalter together. Um, the Psalms are retelling the history of salvation in Israel in song form. So you have the first two sections of the Psalms, which are telling about the kingdom and how great it was and how wonderful things used to be. And then you have book three, which is all about how, despite uh, how, because we got such a big head, both the North and the South, just the people of God in general, because we got big headed and part of trust in ourselves, God stripped that away from us because we didn't understand who we were in relationship to the world and in relationship to him. 
in the midst of the darkest of the Psalms, there's always these Psalms which jump out and say, okay, despite the fact that God is punishing you, he's doing it because he wants to bring you out of this. He's punishing you because he wants you to learn. He's, he's chastising you because he wants to glorify you, because he wants to raise you back up. And this is one of those Psalms, Psalm 85. Lord, and you, you imagine it coming from the mouth of a people who are, who've been brought low. I mean, picture Amos. I, and we know a little bit about one of his contemporaries, a guy just a little bit before his time, Elijah, right, who was kind of in a similar situation, right? He was just before Amos. He was dealing up in the north. He was convinced that he was the only one left. Am I the only one that still believes in you in this culture? Am I the only one who's going to speak up for the truth? And God shows him, no, you're not the only one. You're not alone. And not only is there more of you, but I personally am going to care for you. And so you imagine the prayer from guys like Elijah and Amos saying, Lord, let us see your kindness. Let us see that you're actually there. This culture is so dark. It's so crooked. It's so wicked. It's so self-centered. I want to see that that's not the total reality. Show me that you're there. Grant me your salvation. And then it goes on to give the words of the prophet. I will hear what the Lord proclaims. For the Lord, he proclaims peace. Near indeed is his salvation for those who fear him. Glory dwelling in our land. Reality is not always what it looks like. Despite the darkness and the the selfishness and everything else, God is actually proclaiming peace, not war. Mm. Even though there's going to be punishment, it's for the glory dwelling in his land. There's salvation coming. It's always in the midst. Yes. Anyway, that's what I'm seeing in this psalm. Yeah. Kindness and truth shall meet, justice and peace shall kiss. Which is like one of the most famous lines of scripture it uh, is, of, of the which Psalms. It is so beautiful. Yeah. But again, if to realize that this is not written but compiled and put in the book of the Psalter in the midst of this struggle with why has God abandoned us? Why has he stripped all of our all of our stuff from us, our kingdom, our sacramentals, the things that reminded us of who we are. Why has he stripped all that away? Why can't we see him anymore? And in the midst of that, someone had the good sight, good the good insight to put this psalm in there and say, no, this speaks to, to the reality that we're living in. That he is there and he will uh, let us see his kindness. He will grant us his salvation. And and I mean, and I just love, and, then w- and when that comes, what's going to follow in the wake, like what you're saying is, Mercy and faithfulness joining, yeah. righteous and peace joining, faithfulness bubbling up from the ground and righteousness coming down from heaven. Like like just a total surrounding and a total communion yeah. of everything that is desired. Like, which is really, really cool, which is really cool. And it's something to, to hope for because you lose hope and man, you're done. You're- <laughs> well, what's interesting too, and I think this will segue us into the second reading too. In answer to that Psalm, Lord, let us see your kindness, grant us your salvation. How is his kindness seen and his salvation granted? Well, in the first reading, it's through this nobody named Amos. Oh, yeah. So he is actually letting his kindness be seen and his salvation be granted, Mm. but it's through the means of this lowly nobody guy who is a goat herder or whatever he was from from Tekoa. So even though God is always desiring to show us his kindness and his salvation, we don't always have the eyes to see it when it shows up. Right. And so the psalm is also a challenge to keep your eyes open because it doesn't always look like what you think it's going to look like right. as Amos sort of embodies. So I think that's a piece of that. And that actually, I think, is what speaks to the second reading. Better car. <clears throat> Better car. So th- this, is, uh, this is really cool because um, like the psalms uh, a retelling, we have this better car, which is actually a a retelling now of, salva- of, of what salvation is yeah. specifically for... The, those who are from Ephesus. 
Yeah, it's a it's a blessing specifically. Oh, so the better call means blessing. Oh, literally. I did not. I wasn't sure. I, my studies didn't tell me that. I yeah, just, I just saw the word and I thought it'd make me sound smart. Well, what's cool? It does make you sound smart. Hey, thank you. Did you? Were you impressed with me? I was, and you you can talk about how you pronounce better call at the end of every mass because you do. Oh yeah. But what's cool about this? So every one of Paul. Well, the normal way you would write a letter, and Paul's letters usually follow this structure. I'll, you know, just like we sort of all have kind of a commonplace way that we answer the phone. You know what I mean? There's just a, a, a presumed way you do stuff. If you're writing a letter, you write dear so-and-so, you have the date, you know, up in the top right-hand corner. You, there's just a, a, a formality to how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Same with Paul's time. Um, the way you write a letter, you always begin by saying who's writing. So that's why Paul always begins his letters by saying, Paul, a servant of God, and Timothy, our brother, or whatever it is. Because it's much more convenient if you have a bunch of scrolls to not have to flip to the back one to find out who's writing this again. So they just put it in the front, which actually makes a lot more sense. Oh, yeah. So he always puts the signature first. Then he always puts who's who he's writing to, to the church that is in Ephesus or whatever. And then typically a letter will go into a Thanksgiving section. And the writer will write whatever he's thankful for. I'm thankful for you, for your friendship. I'm thankful for grandma's visit last Thanksgiving. I love my house. I love my family. <laughs> I love my car. Well, it usually has to do with the recipient. I know. I was just joking from that I'm so thankful that, that you came to visit me last year for Christmas. <laughs> but in this case, in the letter of the Ephesians, he skips the Thanksgiving section. It's not there. It doesn't appear. Ruh, Instead, ruh. he launches into this very long berakah, blessing section. And it's the first thing that if you're reading this with the eyes of what a letter's supposed to look like, it should jump out to you and be like, whoa, what's Paul doing? Paul's doing something significant here. And not only that, but he launches into this really, really long blessing that'll yeah. last for uh, like two chapters or something. And in it, he, he is constantly like weaving in between um, theology and spirituality. And I, have we talked about this? One of the things I love about the book of Ephesians is that it really ticks off scholars and academics because they love to read the, the book of Ephesians and try to figure out, okay, here is this part of the letter, here's this part of the letter, how to categorize what. And it's unclear exactly where Paul's blessing actually stops because there's actually, if you read it really carefully, yeah, I think it's like in chapter five or six, it's a long way in that Paul finally actually says his amen. Which you're, you're like, is that, has he been doing this blessing the whole time? And there's, you can't compartmentalize and kind of figure out, okay, where did he just stop? Yeah, it's at the end of chapter three. But you're like, well, okay, where does he stop the greeting and this blessing? Where is he stopping praying and starting into the letter and his theology? And it's impossible to tell where his prayer ends and his theology begins. And I love that about this letter. Again, scholars hate it because they can't categorize it. Yeah. But I think it's a shame that we have to categorize spirituality and theology or prayer life and study, right? Paul is able to seamlessly weave in and out of his prayer life and his academic life, actually working through the mysteries of salvation and his prayer life while doing it. This is why, you know, I think theology suffered a terrible hit in the history of our world when the the majority of theological studies left the monastery mm. because there was a time when theology was always surrounded by a life of prayer and community. Right. And then we made it strictly an academic pursuit. And I think we lost something there. So Paul, this is just beautiful because he's grappling with these things. He's praying through them and he's also trying to teach. And so what he says, and really what I think at the heart of this kind of long chunk that we have, what he's trying to teach us is this. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and without blemish before him. In love, he destined, and it actually says predestined us, 
for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. I think this blessing section, the take home from this, is all about predestination. So, Father Peter, putting you on the spot, do Catholics believe in predestination? Yes, they do. Absolutely we do. Which, to those of you who are familiar with like Protestant Catholic dialogue and stuff, you'd be like, well, I thought we didn't. Well, well the, we the don't reason, believe the, in. The, the, reason, the reason why I hesitate, you should hesitate. Is, is because there, there is a distinction to be made. Well, what do we not believe in? Do you know what that's called? Oh, it's because um, there's a term for it. Oh, yeah, it's like a. It's not like fundamental predestination. It's no. uh, uh, it's a big bite predestination. Double. I was du- trying to eat a mine double, double cheeseburger. Oh yeah, double. We don't believe in double predestination. Which is what? So predestination. This is where I. In, this is where I'm very thin on my and theology. I love this. So we believe in predestination because Paul says so a couple times. He says we are predestined to be with God. So in other words. In my mind, God designed us to be with him. Are we supposed to be in heaven? Yes, we're built to be in heaven. Can we choose against that? Yeah, of course we can. But he destined us for that. That's who we are. Yes. What we don't believe is what is called double predestination, which means if some of us are destined for heaven, then others of us surely must be destined to hell. And we're like, no, 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 no. The opposite of that can't be true. That just because God has said there are those who are destined for heaven, we can't then say, well, that means surely there's other people that are just predestined to go to hell and to not believe or ever believe. That doesn't follow. Does that make sense? Which is what John Calvin really kind of championed, Luther a little bit too. This idea that, yeah, there, there are those who are just, they're just hoes. They're just out of luck because God, and we don't know who they are, but God chose these people to be with him. And these people will never be with him. And so we just kind of have to figure that out. The church is, that's, that's complete baloney. There's no way God has ever planned for someone to go to hell. No way that God would want anyone to reject him. He wants everyone with him. And I think that's as simple as predestination is. He designed all of us to be with him for all of eternity. Simple as that. We can choose against that. We can reject that. But what he's saying here is that because we're destined for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, because that's what we're fundamentally made for, the funny thing about that is that then if if you've listened to this, he says he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him, to be holy and without blemish. We are to be the lamb. We're to be the paschal lamb in a certain sense. That's what that's describing. Yes. Holy, meaning like God, without blemish, all these things. In other words, what is the world waiting for for its salvation? Right now in 2015. It's waiting for, I mean, are we talking about personal or collective salvation? I don't think it matters. The return of the Jesus. Return, <laughs> return of Jesus. I don't think that's true. And I'm, I, maybe I'm dabbling into some dangerous theology here. Here's the thing. Jesus' work is already done. He has already offered salvation to the whole world. The cross is finished. He rose from the dead. That's a done deal. What the world is waiting for is us to actually step up and be holy and act like that's the reality. And yes. evangelize the world. Yes, absolutely. So the, the, world, the world's not waiting for salvation because it's already happened. It's right, waiting the for the revelation for of the children of God. Is for us to get our act together. Yeah. So again, what does the world need in order to bring it out of the, the garbage and mire and darkness we're in? It's for us to act like what we are. It's for us to be holy. And again, the world's going to look at us and be like, you guys, you're the ones? <laughs> like, Father Peter and Scott are supposed to have a role in this? That's yep. absurd. Amos, you, you, you're the one who's going to bring this? But that's the reality, and that's what Paul is trying to get at in Ephesians. He's saying, you, Ephesians, and all of you listeners of these letters, lowly as you think you are, you are lowly, and you need to keep that in mind, 
but the world is waiting for you to get your act together because only you are going to go out and spread the good news of what Jesus has fundamentally done for everybody. Even though we don't feel like we're capable, even though we don't feel like we're up to the job, which we probably aren't, even though the world's probably going to laugh at us when they see us. I mean, how did the early church convert the most hedonistic empire that the world had ever seen? It's by a bunch of Christians being poor and being humble and being lowly, loving each other and being willing to die for each other and for the sake of the gospel. The Roman frickin' empire converted to Christianity. Yeah. And I know that it's corruption and I know all, you know, all the stories. I know my history. But just Take that for a second. The most he, the Roman Empire became Christian. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. a worse culture than we will probably ever be, although we're well on our way. But I mean, if there's hope for the Roman Empire because of Christians who weren't proud and shouting at everybody and yelling at each other on news stations, it's because of Christians who were humble and holy and poured themselves out for one another. The world said, we don't know what to do with that. We don't have a category for these guys. So we better hear them out. Right now, the world thinks they have a category for us because we act like the world and we try to be powerful and we try to be haughty and we try to be loud and we try to shut the other person up. We haven't tried in quite a long time just being holy and humble and pouring ourselves out for one another. Mm. And that's what these readings are asking us to do. Yeah, I think. I think so, too. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. And not because it's this huge job that we have to take on. It's because it's already who we are. And You're it, already that. You just have to act like it. Yeah, which is, which is verse 10. You know what I mean? Which is the plan set forth in Christ in the fullness of time right. to unite all things in him in heaven and on earth. Is that, well, what's that, the fullness of time? The fullness of time is now. Because Jesus is one, right? It's but done. It's the the fullness of time is present, and so right. so like so to unite all things in Christ is actually to say all of being is now taken up by right. us. The word in Greek is actually recapitulate, oh. to recap basically, and to take all things into himself. Which is like the best job ever. I think about the work, the work of Camp Wetiwa. Mm. I think the, about the work that we're doing here. I think about the work with, that I'm doing with the Camino Maps. I'm yeah. thinking about like, like these are actually taking up the, the work we're doing here with the podcast. Yeah. Like we're taking up all things and trying, trying to bring unity or, or um, uh, be prophetic about the unity of creation and how all things have their origin and return in right. Christ. Absolutely. And like, because it's the fullness of time, it's all, it's, it's all there. I mean, we, we're, we've already died Yes. with him who has died and yeah. we've been risen up. Absolutely. Which brings us to the gospel, I think, which is awesome. And I will raise you up. Is that in no, this gospel? No, I just started singing it. Actually, <laughs> thought we were at a wedding from 1989. Hey, thanks. I'm sorry. Eagles wings. It's a good. It's a good song. <laughs> um. <laughs> so Jesus summoned the twelve. This is chapter six. He summoned the twelve apostles. He began to give. He began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey but a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in their belts. They were, however, to wear sandals because their feet reeked, but not a second tunic. And he said to them, whenever you're in your house, stay until you leave. Whatever place does, uh, does not welcome you, listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and the testimony against them. So they went off and they preached repentance and they drove out many demons and they anointed with oil and the sick and they cured them. Okay, here's the, here's the key. Here's the bottom line, I think. 
And I want to hear your thoughts about the piano. Talk to me, aces. The key line here is in the second sentence. Key line pie? Key line pie. No, the first sentence. He gave them authority. Yes. He gave them authority. So if you were to back up to chapter three of Mark, so this is only chapter six. If you were to back up to chapter three, there's a very interesting scene that happens. And in chapter three, you get kind of the beginning of the calling of the 12 disciples. He's already called a couple prior to that. Yep. But chapter three, I think, is actually one of the climaxes of the whole book. I actually think chapter three of Mark might be the climax of the whole thing. Wow. Because it's in chapter three that, I mean, aside from the, the salvation story, you know, the passion. But in chap- it's in chapter three where there's that great scene where Jesus heals a guy, remember, who has a withered, is that what it is? He has a withered hand or something? I don't know if I'm mixing up my healing stories. Anyway, Jesus heals a guy. And the religious leaders um, are all there and the Pharisees and stuff. And they're all ticked off because Jesus has done it on the Sabbath. Remember that? Absolutely. And which is really funny because Jesus has just suspended the laws of nature to work a miracle. And they're like, but you did it at the wrong time. They don't. I mean, do you notice that they don't actually even care that he just suspended the laws of nature and did this unbelievable thing? Actually, they're, they're so I, hardened to that. I would even argue that he did not actually suspend the laws of nature, but that actually he profoundly worked in union and cooperation with he them. Probably did. Mighty deeds are but better than miracles. Takes down the point I'm trying to make. Anyway, but but yeah, no, no it was super right. abundant reality, right? Came. But you should be like, wow, you just healed a guy's hand yeah, on like, the spot. Like this is over the top. We've never seen anything like this. But they're ticked <laughs> off, right? And they're mad he did it on the Sabbath. And so there's that line. Yeah, it says he they held counsel against him on how to destroy him. So it actually says, it's a profound line, it's in chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with Herodians yep. on how oh. to destroy him, which, no good. if you're thinking politically, the Pharisees and the Herodians, that's basically like saying... The, the Republicans and the Democrats got together. No, that's too simple. It's like saying... Rush Limbaugh held counsel with Nancy Pelosi and they decided to form a nonprofit together. So, I mean, just, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of the two most absolutely the, farthest apart. The Vatican groups. and ISIS. Right. Well, yeah, well, that yeah, got real. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just politically divisive. Jesus is able to unite them in their hatred of him. Because for the Pharisees, he's challenging their way of looking at the world and their stringent view of the law. He's actually upending their view of the law. That's dangerous to them. The Herodians, they're the ones that follow Herod and keep Herod as king, but they know that he's not a Davidic king and that the scriptures all say that this Davidic king is coming. So he's bad for them too if he's claiming to be king. So everybody has reason to hate Jesus. So here's the thing. Here, here's what I think is profound. Jesus goes before those who have authority, right? He's in front of the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Herodians and the people who have real authority. He goes to people who have no authority, the people who have, I'm sorry, he goes to people who have authority, the people who have authority reject him. So Jesus leaves those who have authority, goes to a bunch of people with no authority and gives them authority. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because right after that, immediately after they do this, he goes out to the hills and he begins to call disciples to himself. So he goes to those who have authority. They They reject reject him. him. He leaves those in authority, goes to people with no authority whatsoever, and he gives them authority. Mm. He finds a bunch of Amoses, basically. And he says, fine, you will be the leaders. And you will be the leaders of the new 12 tribes of Israel. It's not that Jesus didn't know he was going to be rejected, but it's important to recognize, you know, he doesn't just immediately go to the outcasts. He goes to the people who have real clout, the religious leaders, because they're legitimate. There is a legitimate religious structure in Jerusalem. 
Jesus is not opposed to them. He goes to them. He's rejected by them. They want to kill him. So he says, fine, I'm going to go somewhere else and I will raise up others. And I think that's the thread that ties all of these things together. All the readings in some level or another, I think, yes. have to do with God raising up people who have no real earthly authority and giving them spiritual authority to go into the world and proclaim the truth. That's what the role of the Christian is, right? Absolutely. It's to be a nobody in the eyes of the world, but to be a somebody in the eyes of God, who's called to go before all of the somebodies of the world and proclaim to them the word of God. That's what Moses was called to do. That's what David was called to do. And to unite all things in Christ. And to unite all things, recapitulate all things in him. Yeah. And that's what we see the, the 12 doing. So if you know the story of chapter 12, of how he went to those who really had authority— They wanted to kill him. Then he goes and picks these 12. Now in chapter 6, he actually gives these guys authority explicitly, and they go out and they cast out demons. They're healing sick people. They're using oil to perform miracles. It's not just just lip service, right? They're actually doing it. They're changing the world in little ways. And people have got to be thinking, wow, this is like an out-of-work tax collector and some crappy fisherman, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Who are you guys? You're doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, then it gives the world hope of, wow, God can actually work through people like us. Yeah. That's profound. Yeah. And I think that's what these readings are all getting at. Dude, I agree, man. That's like, that's the best. I, 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 we are in such profound need of hope that... That's it. That, um, that the, that's the greatest crisis of our age, actually. Oh, my out gosh. Of, out of everything else is, is a crisis of hope. And, um, yes. And this is the same invitation he's making to them. He's offered to you. Yeah. Um, and do we, are we willing to take up that authority and to take up that staff, that mantle and to go out? Because it's actually pretty simple. It doesn't take a whole lot of anything. It's simple, but it gets John the Baptist's head cut off. And yeah. And, and that, you know, you don't want to lose your head doing this thing. Oh my! Well, you guys, there, there you are. There you are. There it is. Whoop, whoop. There it is. <laughs> well, we um, we're the lanky guys again. You guys are great. We'll be back next week. And um, what am I forgetting? Find us on Facebook. Yep. Look uh, us up on. Uh, do we Facebook. have do we any shout shout outs or anything? Shouts out. Um, we don't have any shouts out. Shouts um, out. Shouts that out. I know of. I don't have any. Do you have any? Have oh, no, no, I had one. Oh, poop nuts. Um, yes, I, hold on. Say something funny and witty. And um, keep everyone engaged. Um, I, so I found something weird in the, the Gospels uh, Okay, today. good. I'm done. Um, I want to play. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's such a jerk move. You are a jerk. No, shoot. I just want to give a shout out to Lydia Smith because this was something I was thinking about last week and I didn't say it. But last week's readings uh, were all about, uh, we talked about Ezekiel and God on wheels, right? The chariot that moved around. The oh, God yeah, is yeah. noble. He comes with us. He's after us. And Lydia Smith wrote and reminded me of the, the great poem, which is actually one of my absolute favorites, The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. Oh, of course. You've read, you read The Hound of Heaven. Yes. Which is really the story of last week's readings, that God will find us. He wants us. And it's, you know, Monsignor Swetland, who's the, um, he's on the he on EWTN, a good friend of ours. He has this great line he said um he would always he used to work on the faculty of the university of illinois in the religious studies department and they would always have these big profound conversations about man's search for god and he's like that's what everyone wants to talk about is man's search for god he's like but i found that far less interesting than the opposite which is god's search for man 
that's when it gets really interesting is realizing how much he's searching for us now he's after us so if you haven't read it everyone should go out and check out the hound of heaven i'm sure you can just google it and you can find a copy great poem about how god is unrelenting he will hunt us down and eat us ah. no he's not gonna eat us I just <laughs> see if you're listening who let the dogs out i you know i took the same um, audio engineering program as those guys <laughs> not at the same time they were a year or two before me you would admit that. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, God bless you. God bless Talk you. Bye-bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.